0: Hello and welcome to this vidcast which is devoted to Coty, a very well-known company, century-old, operating in the cosmetics industry and which experienced during the last five years radical transformations in its perimeter of activity, which led to also significant impacts on the financial performance of the firm. Let's first have a look at the recent financial communication of the firm. The company closes its accounts on the 30th of June and then the full year 2021 corresponds to the period which starts in July 2020 and ends in June 2021. Interestingly, it corresponds to the first full year of activity of the new CEO and General Management Committee. What do we observe? In the first actions which are going to be initiated by the company and by the General Management, there's a very critical one, which is cash protection. This is a number one imperative. Now, if you want to protect your cash, first thing to do is to save costs. Net savings, $330 million. Immediate impact on the EBITDA margin, which is now exceeding by 3% the pre-COVID level. We are going to discuss that a little bit later. And the net debt is reduced by $2.6 billion. The reduction in the net debt will be a combination of savings plus divestment, which I am going to explain now. When the company closes its accounts in June 2021, net debt still represents seven years of EBITDA, which is much too high. But the company expects that at the end of civil year 2021, this figure will be down to four or five depending on divestment. Of course, the company has to do its job, because if you look at the evolution of the stock price during the last five years, it's very, very bad for the investors. During this five-year period, the Stalin Poor 500 index is up. And if you look at the peer group, L'Oréal, Estée Lauder, etc., the financial performance is exceeding the market performance. In the meantime, the evolution of the stock price of Coty is down, divided by two. Of course, if you take a longer perspective of the company, you understand that after its listing in 2013, the stock price went dramatically up, which was quite good news. But starting in 2016, the stock price started declining each and every month, almost. Now, if you look at the evolution of the stock price in a recent period, you understand that there is a more optimistic perspective of investors on Coty. Now, a few date about Coty. First, the company is more than one century old. The company was created in 1904. It's still controlled by JAB Holding. JAB means Johann Adam Benkezer the founder of the business, a chemist who created his company in 1823. The Benkiser company was listed in 1997, then merged with Reckitt & Coleman to create this famous reckitt Benkiser company. Now, JAB Holding still holds more than 50% of Coty. The IPO of Coty took place in June 2013, at the stock price which was $17.5 per share today it's 9.5 but it was up to 32.4 in June 2015 now if you compare the 9.5 today with September 2020 12 months ago almost it was 2.7 at that time so a quite significant recovery what is the business model of the company and the impact of this business model of its perimeter. The company is in a beauty business. Fragrants are definitely their number one business at Coty, but also body care and cosmetics. In 2016, the company acquired from Procter & Gamble the division which is P&G Beauty, including two very well-known brands, Vella and Clairol. Then, one year later, the company acquires unique on a valuation basis of $1 billion, it's definitely a mistake. And two years later, in 2019, Coty sells Unique on a valuation basis of $130 million, which is slightly less than $1 billion. Now, the company started divesting partially and very likely totally of Vella. It started in 2020, and it's going to be completed very likely in the next months. Now, this is about buying and selling, but very recently, the company acquired King Kylie and Kim Kardashian West, which is definitely the new business model of the company. The business model is personality-led, as the company announced it. It's direct to customers, massive use of social network. And the company is organized with very centralized marketing teams, but geographical segments. So you don't know the profitability of the cosmetics business, but you know the profitability of the Americas or Asia Pacific. Let's go back a minute on Vella. Procter & Gamble bought Clairol in 2001 from the pharmaceutical company Bristol Myers Squibb and paid 5000000000 PNG bought Vella from the family of the founder in 2003, six point three. Now 5 plus 6.3 is about $11.3 billion. Now Clérol, Anvella, and other brands are going to be sold by Procter & Gamble to Coty. By the way, Coty is competing against carrying an LVMH for the acquisition. The price will be $11.5 billion, which is not that far from Clairol plus Vela. But P&G claims a profit after tax of $5.2 billion. How can you claim a profit of $5 billion when you sell at a price which is your acquisition price? Now, you understand that it's about accounting, it's about impairments, about amortization, and so on and so forth. This is why profit is okay. Cash is better. And this is why we finance profit. So we always say cash is king. 11.5, 11.5, this is cash. Now, kuti is going to start selling part of the business to Colbert, Kravis, Robert, 60 percent of Clairol and Vella for 2.5 billion dollars end of 2020 Civil year. Now, if you sell 60 percent for 2.5, it means that the value of 100 percent is 4.2 billion, which is seven billion less than the 11.5 paid by the company a few years before. What about the financing of the acquisition? When PNG sold the beauty business to Coty, they made a spin off, and the legal engineering was Reverse Morris Trust. Forget about the details of legal engineering, the objective is to avoid paying capital gain tax. Now, the consequence of this spin off is that it's an all share transaction. Now, Coty issues about 410 million ordinary shares, is going to dilute its shareholders, but it's going to reinforce its equity structure because it's equity against equity. Now, in the meantime, the company makes other acquisitions, unique, I mentioned, but also good hair day, and all these acquisitions were paid in cash. What is a change in a financial structure? In order to observe the financial structure of a firm, We generally speaking, use two indicators. One is financial leverage. Net debt divided by EBITDA. If you look at the first half of the 2010 decade, it lies within a range 2 to 3, which is quite conservative. Then it goes up because debt is up and because EBITDA is not doing that well. When the EBITDA turns negative, the figure does not mean anything anymore. But if you look at the last figure, which is announced by the company, it's about seven, which is definitely too high. In the meantime, the second indicator is the market gearing, which is debt divided by market value of equity, market capitalization. And it's about one point something, which more or less means that there is as much debt as equity market value in a financial structure. Once this is said, let's have a look at the economic and financial metrics. Of course, the first one which you look at is the evolution of revenues. A little bit more than 10 years ago, the company was generating revenues of 3 to 4 billion. It went up to about 4.5 billion, went down a little bit, dramatically went up because of acquisitions, and these acquisitions, because of broken promises, led to divestments. And today, you are at about the same level as 10 years ago, a little bit less than $5 billion. Now, the next step consists in observing the costs. If you look at the gross margin, which is sales minus cost of goods sold, the cost of manufacturing the product which you sold to your customers, it's quite stable, about 60%. From the gross profit to the EBIT, you have to deduct the SGNA, selling, general, and admin expenses. They were quite stable, around 50%, went down a little bit, and after the acquisition, the SGNA went up as a percentage to sales. It was up because of COVID and then down, but it's about 50%. Well, the EBIT is about 10% because gross profit is 60%. And sg is 50, to make it simple. EBITDA is EBIT plus depreciation and amortization. And when you look at the figure, you understand that it was about 15% historically. It went down pre-COVID, and it went up, not post-COVID, unfortunately, but today. Now, it's about 17% compared with 14% pre-COVID. Interestingly, we can observe quite stable capital expenditures as a percentage to sales. This is why, when EBIT is 10 and a little bit more than 10, EBIT DA is a little bit more than 15 because depreciation is about 5%. Now, if we get back to revenues and we confront revenues on current EBIT, excluding exceptional items, You can observe that the evolution of sales is a little bit up with a dramatic increase and divestment, and the evolution of EBIT is reasonably stable, it's down as a consequence of COVID, and it's up and slightly positive full year 2021, but it's not very high. Now, the return on sales, you remember, is about 10%. And historically, it's about the normal level of commercial rate of return. You remember that the financial performance is not the return on sales, it's a return on capital. So it's not EBIT divided by sales, it's EBIT divided by capital employed. The link between the return on sales and the return on capital is the assets turnover, so the ability of the company to transform capital employed, invested capital into revenues. And this figure has been dramatically impacted by external growth. It was about 1.5 before acquisitions, and today it's about 0.5. Then, when you observe Coty in the long run, you have two periods. One is 2009. 2015. Return on sales is 10. Assets turnover is 1.5. The combination gives a rose sale 15%, which is more than the whack. Second period. After the acquisition, 2016-2020, the return on sales is, historically, on the average about 10%. But the assets turnover is normal 1.5. It's 0. 0.5. 0. 0.5 times 10 is 5%. So the return on sales is quite stable. The return on capital has been divided by three as a consequence of external growth. A very big impact. Why? Because now you introduce in your capital employed goodwill and brands. Now, you remember there are two ways to calculate, quotes capital. You have the capital employed, thanks to which you can calculate the return on capital employed, which includes each and every dollar you invested in your business and operations. But if you want to evaluate the performance of people working in the business you need, you can calculate a kind of industrial capital from which you exclude the costs which are linked with the acquisition itself. You exclude goodwill and brands. Then you calculate a return on investment, which is the industrial performance of the business. It's not the industrial performance of acquiring the business. If you look at the evolution of capital employed and industrial capital, capital employed has always been positive, is skyrocketing as a consequence of the acquisitions, and is still about $10 billion at the end of full year 2021. Now, interestingly, industrial capital is nil. And it's very often negative, which, by the way, makes a difficulty in the calculation of the return on investment when the numerator is negative. It's only full year 2021 that it becomes a little bit positive. Now, if you look at the metrics of 2020, you calculate the asset's turnover with Goodwill and Brands, it is 0.5, and as the return on sales is exactly Eight point something, the return on capital is 4.2% in 2020. It does not pay the work. I'll discuss that in a minute. Now, if you exclude goodwill and brands, the assets turnover is 44 The return on investment is 38%. What does it mean a return on investment of 38%? Great economic performance. The people working in the business are doing very well. But when the return on capital is only 4.0% it means either that you have not yet generated the benefits of buying the goodwill, paying for goodwill and brands, or it means that you paid a too high price for the acquisitions. A return on investment of 38% means that it's a great company, but a great company may be a great investment, is not necessarily a great investment, including if you have not paid the right price for the acquisition and the intangible assets. Now, when you observe the evolution of the financial performance on one hand and the stock market credibility on the other hand, they move in parallel direction, which is absolutely business as usual. When a ROCE is about 15%, enterprise value divided by capital employed, the market to book is about 3 then when the ROCE is about 5%, the market to book is down and significantly down. But interestingly, when the return on capital employed of the company is 5%, which again does not pay the whack, I will demonstrate that in a minute, the market to book is still more than one. More than one means you create value. But when you create value, it is a consequence of a positive economic performance. Now, you have a stock market credibility, which is about value creation, and you have a performance, which is negative, which is quite interesting and leads me to two financial calculations to conclude this VidCast. First, what is the performance recovery which is expected in the stock price of Coty today? Second, The consequence of this performance recovery will have a huge impact when we build the cash flow statement forecast for the next four years. To evaluate the financial performance, we need to calculate the work. For the work, we need the beta. When you observe the beta of Coty, first years of listing, very chaotic beta, not very significant. Then it is stabilizing at the level of 1.2, 1.3 during the last months, the beta of Coty is absolutely dramatically high, which means it's meaningless. So to calculate a normal cost of equity, I will use the capital asset pricing model. It's government bond rate 1.5 plus a beta which I take at 125 multiplied by the equity market risk premium. Gives me 9%. Apparent interest rate 4%, less taxes 3%. 3%. Now, what about the market gearing? You remember it's approximately 1, which means that debt represents the same weight as market value of equity. So, 50% of 9 plus 50% of 3 is 9 plus 3 divided by 2. It's about 6%. The row say 4.2, 4%. After tax, 3%. The normal market to book, assuming there is no growth, is rosé after tax divided by what 3 divided by 6 is 0.5. So if the market was paying a rosé after tax of 3%, the market to book would be 0.5 and the enterprise value of the company would be half of its invested capital. Now the actual market to book is 1.1. What does it mean? It means that the market is anticipating a recovery. But it's very interesting to calculate the commercial profitability potential recovery in the current stock price. You remember, we have a market to book of 1.1. Now the erosion after tax should be 1.1 multiplied by the walk, which is 6%. It's 6.6%. If it's 6.6% after tax, it should be about 8.8% before tax. And you remember, the Dupont formula, return on sales times assets turnover. Assuming that the assets turnover is reasonably constant around 0.5, it means that the return on sales should be EBIT on revenues 17.6%. The current EBIT is 8.7%. What this calculation suggests is that in the mind of investors, the return on sales is going to be multiplied by 2. Which represents exactly an increase of four hundred million dollars. Now, if the capex figure is reasonably stable, an increase of the EBIT by four hundred million is an increase in the EBITDA by four hundred million. Keep this figure in mind. This is fundamental. If we observe again the recent financial communication of the company, the firm says we are going to accelerate sales and profit. Revenues are going to be up by 6 to 8 percent, like for like. EBITDA is going to grow at a higher rate than sales, 9 to 11 percent. And the consequence of that is the leverage will be down to less than two. So debt will be less than two years of EBITDA. Obviously, there will be a consequence of EBITDA increase on the cash flow generation. And then we have the figures. Adjusted EBITDA was $762 million, full year 21. And according to the forecast of the company, it's going to go up to 1.1, 1.2. This is the increase by $400 million of the EBITDA. Now, to build the cash flow statement, we need to deduct interest, mid 100 million, cash taxes, low 100 million. Interestingly, the working capital, which was strongly negative, and this is why the industrial capital was negative, the working capital, negative, was paying for property, plant and equipment. It's going to turn positive, huge impact on the cash flow. I'm going to show you that in a minute. CapEx, about 200 million. Now, if you want to get to a leverage ratio which is about 2, by the end of civil year 2025, you need to reduce indebtedness by about 3 billion, which is demonstrated in the cash flow statement. A bit down with the assumptions about 4.3 billion. Increase in the working capital requirement from minus 800 to something slightly positive. Okay, I took the assumption of 900 million increase from minus 8 to plus 1. Then the potential cash which is generated is 4.3 funds from operations. Actual cash is 3.4. Interest expense, tax, and capex Plus sale of Vela shares, and the company announces that it's worth 1.2 billion. all in all, it's a cash generation of 2.9 billion, and you see then the three billion of cash generation. Now to conclude, the four hundred million dollar increase in EBITDA will be transformed into cash cash flow statement and reduction in the gearing. Now the same increase Of EBITDA by 400 million dollars is regarded as evaluated as a performance increase. Now even though this increase of EBITDA by 400 million dollars is fully validated by capital markets, now the mission statement is to transform the forecast into real increase in EBITDA. Now see you in four years to observe if current Cotis commitment has been transformed into actual cash and performance. Thank you very much.